It is 11.30, which means it's time for midday here on the September 4th. Tyler Cavalli along with you, Jason Jorgensen and Bob Brogan here as well. We'll get to those gentlemen here in just a moment. But, of course, Nebraska State Fair is going on, and that's where our own Susan Littlefield is at. And, uh, Susan, how are things going out there, and what do you have for us here for midday? Well, thanks so much, guys. Here's what's happening on the midday on this Friday from the farm team. The weather, though hot and crazy this weekend, is going to cool down into the coming week. We'll find out more coming from Al Dutcher. Then at 1245, we're going to find out the life of a wood chip from the Nebraska State Fair. It's kind of an interesting story. And then wrapping everything up, we head to the northeast part of the state for our FNBOs, Fridays in the Field, and Chad Moyer. That's a midday from the farm team. Thank you very much, Susan. We'll turn it over to sports. Jason Jorgensen is in. and Well, Jason, this could be the big day as far as Big Ten football. If we have a vote, may not have a vote, nothing could change, or a lot could change, I suppose. It could change pretty quickly, but as of now, Nebraska has announced there's no meeting planned with the chancellors or the presidents. Oh, that's not a good thing. No, because status quo means there's no football. <laughs> right. But okay. that Well, there was supposed to be a vote this morning, right? Or there was talks of one? Rumored to be. Nothing concrete. Also, they're not going to have a vote unless they know that the sure. vote would be taken to overturn the previous decision. It almost it, it doesn't it almost doesn't even pay to talk about it no. anymore at this point. <laughs> it's been such a roller coaster of maybe a high and then a low. Now Nebraska is practicing again today. That's helmets and shoulder pads, whatever that's that's worth. But, uh, These are staying in shape, I suppose. Yes, but no, no vote is in the foreseeable future. But you know, hey, things change. We may have a vote tomorrow. Who knows? No, but nobody thought that weekend that they shut it down that it would happen as quick as it did. Okay, uh, wacky stuff from the Big Ten as always. Stay here at KRVN and KRVN.com <laughs> for the very latest. Also, we'll talk some high school football. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll be in Carney. You're mm-hmm. going to see a Husker recruit, Heinrich right. Harburg, tonight uh, against. Uh, Gothenburg. Uh, that's a tough one for the Swedes. And then I'll, I'll be in Beatrice uh, for the Lexington game against the Orangemen. Hmm. First time in 22 years Lexington and Beatrice have played in football. Wow. Why the state decided to pair those two up, I'm not quite sure. Well, it is interesting that it's also taken that long for them to play each other. It's, and Class B is shrinking, by the way, yes. so it's, it's odd that it's taken that long as well. Yours truly was there to do the game the last time Lexington was in Beatrice. Ah. I'm still trying to figure out where did those 22 years go. Wow. All right, 22 years ago. That was a Lexington win that night. Okay, very well. Maybe you can keep it going. Both teams 0-1, so both teams looking for their first victory of the season. Yep, so that's what we have on the Doctors Night. Also in KUVR, Holdridge is at home. Big night uh, for the Dusters. New field and everything as they play Mm -hmm. Ogallala. And then we'll have the high school football scoreboard show with Christian as well later on at 10.30. Does a great job with that. We'll give you all the scores from around the area. Bob, uh, stocks were up. They're down. Are they going back up? What do we have so far? Stocks are down right now. They're, uh, they, uh, they started the day with some gains, um, but they're slumping now. And um, looks like that's kind of the trend. In fact, they're uh, pretty much down for the count right now. U.S. unemployment rate fell sharply in August. And so we'll have a little bit of news about that. Also, Russian scientists have belatedly published their first results from early trials into the experimental, why'd they have to do this, Sputnik V vaccine. Of hmm. course, they've got to use that Fancy word. words. Yeah, Sputnik. All right. Uh, so we'll, we're waiting with uh, bated breath on that.
1044 KRVN, and that means it's time for a regional ag weather update brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Paul Perkins is now stepped in, and well, Paul, we're going to be in for a nice warm up, and then things are going to be really cool. Yes, yeah, so a big time up and down in our weather pattern over the next few days. Some hot weather over the weekend, and then that major chill down as we head towards Tuesday and Wednesday, but at least some rain chances are on the way. Finally. Yeah. Well, and hopefully it's at least a little more than just uh, a few raindrops here and there. I know you're going to get to this here on Sunday, but did I see right on our, I've been reading it a couple of times, on our forecast says possibly 100 degrees on Sunday? Exactly, and that's a, it's it's not unheard of in uh, September, but sure. it is kind of a rarity. Uh, there's some locations that haven't seen 100 degrees in the month of September since at least 1998. Wow. I was in first grade at that time, just to let you know. Still but, FYI. Uh, so it's been a while. Yeah, back to the early years. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, and with this dry air in place right now, these temperatures uh, are swinging big time because we had overnight lows as low as 40 last night Ooh. in Alliance, and just yesterday they were up to 82. So we're seeing like usually the temperature spread during the summer months at most is like 30 to 35 degrees. And this time of year, uh, that drier air just warms up and uh, cools off very quickly, and we're getting a big taste sure. of that over the weekend. That could help us get that sanitary mark on Sunday. So it'll be more of a dry heat as we head towards Sunday. Well, that is good. Uh, like you said, it's been warm during the day, but in the evening or if you're going out early in the morning to do whatever, uh, you might need like a light jacket at least for the next couple of days. Exactly. Yeah, cause we had overnight lows in many locations last night in the upper 40s to low 50s. But I'm right not now- ready for that, by the way. <laughs> Me neither. Go ahead. Right now, we do have temperatures pretty pleasant across the area. Most of us in the mid to upper 70s already touching at 80 over northeast Colorado and towards northwest Kansas towards St. Francis and Oberlin and also in the Nebraska Sand Hills towards the Thetford area. But once again, most of us in the mid to upper 70s. And just to show you how dry it is currently, usually during the summer, we have dew points in the mid to upper 60s. Right now, we have dew points in the upper 40s to the low 50s across the area. Ridge of high pressure nudging our way. Uh, towards the plains will lead to slightly above average highs for today and highs 15 to 20 degrees above average for tomorrow and Sunday. That low humidity once again helping in the rapid warming for tomorrow and Sunday that could help us to reach that century mark by Sunday. Once again, kind of a rarity. Many locations haven't seen 100 in the month of September since 1998. In behind a cold front, our Labor Day will be seasonal and a transition to much cooler air with low pressure tracking towards the plains from the four corners. Rain and thunderstorm chances increase to likely by Monday night. So our holiday weekend, if you have some plans looking pretty cooperative, those likely chances of rain and thunderstorms for Monday night, Tuesday, on and off rain and isolated thunderstorms are likely to continue as that low strengthens. Our highs Tuesday and Wednesday in the 50s, a star contrast to the heat that we're going to see over the weekend, especially on Sunday. Overnight lows in the 30s expected for most areas by Tuesday night. And in west and west central Nebraska, those lows will drop to the upper 20s and low 30s and bring about the potential of rain changing all snow for a short time, possibly some accumulations on grassy areas. Now, Tuesday night into Thursday, still some chances for rain will continue with that low tracks across the plains. 
Thursday highs will still be about 15 degrees cooler than average. Our long-term forecast holds on to those cooler temperatures with below normal temperatures in the outlook Wednesday all the way through September 17th for Nebraska, Kansas, and most of the central and eastern U.S. The coolest temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas, most likely in the middle of next week. In central Nebraska, towards the mid part of September, average daytime highs are in the upper 70s with average overnight lows in the low 50s. A drier outlook of below normal rainfall is indicated for Nebraska, Kansas, and the western two-thirds of the U.S. for Wednesday through the 17th. So if we don't get some rain out of the system early next week, we're going to head towards a drier pattern. Now, in uh, weather factors impacting the markets, they do include a variable benefit from the upcoming rain in the Midwest and much cooler weather across the central U.S. in the next week. Just to show you how powerful and hot this ridge of high pressure building our way is, Today's temperatures could exceed 120 in the hottest desert locations of the desert southwest in California. Dry weather will prevail nearly nationwide into the weekend. Labor Day rains associated with that strong cold front will increase from the northern and central Rockies all the way towards the Great Lakes. Tuesday, rain will stretch from the southern plains into the upper Midwest. Widespread freezes will occur next week, mainly Tuesday into Wednesday across the northern plains. Late developing corn in eastern North Dakota will need to be watched next week for possible impacts of a freeze. Nearly two-thirds of the U.S. corn right now is dented, while 12% of the corn is fully mature. 8% of the nation's soybeans are dropping leaves. In the Midwest, next week's rain benefit will be minimal due to extensive dryness. Storms in the Midwest may also bring some severe weather damage. Much cooler weather next week will slow down the crop maturing. Well, I don't like the word snow (laughs) or frost right now. But I suppose we are in September. Exactly. You kind of see a lot of of different weather in the month of September. Because, yeah, you could have some extreme heat. And I'm seeing some good snows by the end of September here, too. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen. (laughs) At least I'm not ready for that. Now, again, you briefly mentioned it. There's a drought here. They were talking about that National Weather Service put out these slides yesterday. And in particular, South Central Nebraska, boy, ugly drought right now. Exactly. And actually, kind of the worst of it is actually in the Nebraska panhandle. But much of uh, South Central Nebraska abnormally dry to a moderate drought currently but there are some signs of extreme drought in far eastern nebraska towards iowa border okay all right well hopefully we do get some of that precipitation desperately needed paul for more weather where can we find that weather page krvn.com thank you very much as harvest gets underway we want to hear from you starting the week of september 7th through the end of october we're going to have conversations from the cab we encourage you to be a part of this conversation by texting us at 402-710-9706 and say hey susan let's have that conversation about how my harvest is going that number again 402-710-9706 it's conversations from the cab on 880 krvn it's time again this week we get to catch up with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. I'm Shaylee Peters joining you back here on the Rural Radio Network. Al, we had uh, pretty high temps all the way down into those very fall-feeling cool temps this week. As we head into Labor Day weekend, what can we expect weather-wise? Well, Shaylee, if you had listened to me the last couple of weeks, you'd have mentioned, we had mentioned about the cold temperatures coming in, and most of it was coming in on Minnesota over toward the Great Lakes. It's been fairly consistent up until about the last four days and we've seen a gradual westward shift of that cold air coming in and it looks like a done deal um pretty much noah's put out all the alerts you can imagine on this situation but really the reality is the ridge will build in for this weekend 
You're going to see very warm temperatures statewide and across the central and southern plains. We're going to be looking at a consistent 90s across the state, and most likely as we get into Sunday, there's a high potential that we will see some 100 to 105 degree temperatures, particularly in the favorable areas of southwest and south-central Nebraska. As we go into Monday, we start to see the first cold, well, we actually get a small cold front coming through Sunday, but it's really not going to drop our temperatures with a few degrees. The more important cold front comes in as we go through Monday, and it'll start to enter the northwest part of the state, and gradually as we get through the afternoon hours, start to exit into the southeastern portion of the state. So we still may make it into the low 90s across extreme southeast and south-central Nebraska, but we should see at least a 10-degree differential in central Nebraska, so we'll be looking at the lower 80s. And as we get into the northwest part of the state, probably temperatures will continue to fall as the day progresses. And with precipitation shield from the northwest, will start to move in. And that low pressure system is expected to draw that cold air down the front range of the Rocky Mountains all the way into Formal Low into Texas with the trough. And then it'll start to lift that toward the northeast. The biggest question is, one, how much snow is going to occur on the front range and in the mountains? and whether or not we will get accumulating snowfall in the panhandle. Right now, it looks like a rain-mixed snow. Um, might be some minor accumulations in the northern half of the panhandle on grassy surfaces. I don't think there will be any major uh, headaches in terms of travel. And then as that system pushes even farther south and toward the southeast, we worry about the clearing skies and cold temperatures. And right now, uh, anywhere from 28 to 32 degrees looks to be the favorable temperatures. And really, the hardest freezes probably will be across the northern panhandle if they do indeed occur. As we get into Tuesday, the widespread precipitation shifts toward the eastern part of the state and eastern uh, sections of Kansas and up through Iowa. And then that's going to be a slow-moving system, rainfall all day, very cold, windy conditions of two days, Tuesday and Wednesday. We're probably going to be stuck primarily in the 50s for much of the southeastern one half of the state, upper 40s to lower 40s as far as far you get toward the northwest. And then we'll jump about 10 degrees on the northwest as we get into Wednesday. We'll still only jump a four or five degrees in the southeast. The precipitation shield looks like it's going to end as we get into Wednesday morning. But that low looks like from the GFS model wants to cut it off somewhat. It really cut it off two days ago, but now it's progressed being a little bit more progressive. And each model run shifts a little bit farther towards the east reason I mention this is if that system does come through the eastern part of the state, then we would see backside precipitation on it as we get into Thursday and Friday. If that system shifts a little bit farther toward the east, then the warm-up comes much quicker, and the precipitation actually hits Iowa more than it does eastern Nebraska. After that, we see the ridge building back into the central plains, warmer temperatures, 70s by the end of the next week in the west. That will build in next weekend, and we return to above normal temperatures. And from everything I can see in the GFS model, if it is correct, we are pretty much going to be dry for the remaining set, the next seven-day period with temperatures above normal. Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher, you are listening to the Rural Radio Network. <laughs> It is time for Midday Sports, brought to you by Arrow Seed Company. Jason Jorgensen now joining me. And, well, Jason, we've been talking about Big Ten, if they're going to have football, if they're not going to have football. At this point, nobody knows. 
They don't, and this is kind of some bad news for everyone who had their hopes up. Speaking at a panel discussion this morning, Nebraska President Ted Carter disputed their reports of a Big Ten football vote today by announcing there was no scheduled meeting of the Council of Presidents and Chancellors. That's the group that would have to vote again. At least nine schools would have to vote to reverse the decision that was made by the league last month when it came to delaying the football season. Well, I think you said it best earlier this week or last week, until they tee it up and kick it off. You're not going to believe it until it happens. Nope, that's for sure. But we'll, we'll keep everyone posted if we hear anything. We're just fit time in school history. Lexington faces up against Beatrice in football tonight. Both teams lost last week. The Minutemen fell 26-7 to Seward, and head coach Jeff Rowan says their lack of experience was a key in that loss. Oh, I, I think like any first game, and you know, you're going to have a few alignment issues. And the, the big takeaway, obviously, is turnovers. Uh, turnovers at crucial times. Um you can watch you can watch the film and and tell our kids are competing their their tails off the whole game so um you know we just we just got to take care of the football kick off of that one and beatrice tonight is set for seven we will bring it to you on cami country last friday cozat kicked off its campaign by taking care of gothenburg 35 to 7 first time they've beaten their rivals since 2014 and head coach brian cargill says that one felt pretty good well confidence builder you know um we had had a kind of serious loss there some close losses gothenburg has been a very good team and uh so you know start this year off with a victory against a good team uh, obviously a confidence builder but you know what i'm telling the kids is you got to understand it's only one game in the bigger scheme of things so we have to have this continual improvement and and uh you know build from from that base from that point on tonight cozad is at home against wood river shelton People who've seen Cozad play, I hear nothing but good things. I think there's a pretty decent chance that uh, Cozad opens up the year 3-0 and before they will host Adams Central later on this month. I think so, too. Sydney got beat by Bridgeport last week, and, you know, they brought back a lot of experience from last year. And as we've heard in the first two clips, that seems to make the difference. Yep, and a little bit of speed and some dudes up front also. But as we've also learned... You can't really look forward. Look at Hastings St. Cecilia. They found out yesterday true, afternoon that they wouldn't be playing tonight. So uh, each week is kind of its uh, own entity this season. And Major League Baseball, Cubs right-hander Yu Darvish, August's NL Pitcher of the Month, tries to win his seventh straight decision when he faces off against Jack Flaherty and the Cardinals at Wrigley Field. Chicago opens up an eight-game homestand, hoping to increase its lead over second place St. Louis you know, Darvish was a disappointment there for a while yeah. with the Cubs. He was hurt. He wasn't pitching very well. But last couple, back. yeah, last couple of years, uh, he's been the he's been the guy they thought he'd be. And you know, he's with the Dodgers as well. Came there and uh, was not very good there as well. But you're right, not to see him bounce back. And Cubs, of course, playing all right right now. Yeah, but you know, Cub fans are never satisfied. <laughs> Sky is always falling. That's right. Just get on Twitter. And- five minutes you'll see someone who's dissatisfied good point that's sports for more find it anytime at krvn.com thank you very much Twelve thirty, which means it is time for midday news ellen simmons is joining me and Ellen, we're always talking about safety. Yesterday we let it off with safety and uh, preparedness if a major disaster happens. Now we're talking false safety because whether you like it or not, it is that time of year. Yep. So the National Weather Service has announced their 2020 fall safety campaign and is focusing on wind, drought, and wildfire safety. 
Warning coordinator meteorologist for National Weather Service in North Platte, Sean Jacobs, talks about how drivers can be safe this fall when there is high winds. With uh, wind safety, uh, you know, we really like to just have folks being prepared when they venture out on the highways, uh, paying attention to those weather forecasts. Uh, a strong crosswind can certainly, uh, you know, cause some issues when you're traveling on, on area highways and interstates. So we just ask folks to slow down and understand the forecast. If you have a lightweight vehicle or a high-profile vehicle, you may consider uh, changing your travel plans until all those winds, uh, you know, subside. Drivers also should be cautious of windblown dust causing reduced visibility. Jacob says the safest option while driving is to turn on your headlights and hazards. He also says to not pull over immediately, but to wait until it is safe and there are no drivers behind you, then pull over far enough so that vehicles can pass safely. You know, that is interesting because traveling on the interstate a lot, going back and forth from work to home or whatever, mm-hmm. it can be a little sketchy out yeah, there. Yeah, it's when you hit a patch of just... Nothing but Straight dust. Winds. Yeah, yeah or dust. And it can be uh, a, little, a little creepy. <laughs> again, it's always watching out for the other people. Again, I yep. always feel, knock on wood, that I'm comfortable and know what's going on. But it's somebody else, like if a semi-trailer is unloaded, even then, uh, mm-hmm. you can see them blowing over. So always right. just be mindful and be watching out on the interstate. Well, a proposal by University of Nebraska Lincoln leaders would tackle a more than $38 million budget shortfall by ta- taking half of that amount through staff and faculty cuts. The Omaha World Herald reports that Chancellor Ronnie Green's proposal would eliminate nearly $19 million in faculty and staff positions over the next three years. It would also cut textile, da- textile, dance, and hospitality programs at the school. Earlier this year, University of Nebraska President Ted Carter said the system's four campuses would need to bake at least $43 million in cuts in total to address a budget shortfall created by the coronavirus pandemic. A 48-year-old Norfolk man must pay $1.5 million in restitution for a bank fraud scheme. Max Kant was sentenced Wednesday to one year and a day in federal prison for bank fraud. He will also serve three years of supervised release when he is released from prison. Prosecutors say Kant twice submitted fraudulent cattle purchase orders to Security National Bank, which persuaded the bank to extend his line of credit. Kant owned MK Feedlots in Battle Creek. In September 2017, Kant admitted to the bank that one of the contracts was fraudulent and MK Feedlots closed. The Labor Day holiday offers Nebraskans a chance to enjoy the state parks and its amenities. Nebraska Game of Parks spokesman Greg Wagner reminds people of the unique lodging available at the different state parks. We do have quite a few lodging facilities available in the Nebraska State Parks. Yeah, by and large, we have cabins, but, you know, we have some unique overnight lodging facilities like you mentioned. The old refurbished Union Pacific Cabooses at the Two Rivers State Recreation Area also have the glamping cabins, the uh, hybrid between camping and overnight in a cabin. They're really cool at Platte River State Park. And we have the old soldiers quarters up at fort robinson state park for more information head to outdoornebraska.org you can find more news at krbn.com thank you very much ellen there's so many unique stories here at the nebraska state fair but one if you show cattle you might actually take for granted Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. And what I'm talking about 
are wood chips. Those same wood chips that your cattle lay on in the tie-out stalls and in the barn have a very unique ecosystem story to tell. Pat O'Neill is president of O'Neill Transportation and Equipment, and he talked to me a little bit about their company and the life of a state fair wood chip. So we actually started off uh, moving houses and doing demolition work, which has absolutely nothing to do with wood shavings. Um, we got into the business because uh, the demolition business is mostly about moving material, and we had a couple of clients that said, hey, we're throwing away, you know, thousands of tons of wood waste every year it'd be nice if someone could do something with it and we ended up getting into the wood grinding business handling used pallets and crating mostly from case new holland but from some other suppliers as well uh we started grinding that and we were selling it to uh morrison enterprises and they used it as a fuel to dry alfalfa so it just turned out that the material we had to make for them also made perfect horse bedding so we started selling horse bedding to Fonder Park in 2006 and 2007. And um, the state fair came to town and I thought, well, that's nice, but it has nothing to do with me. And about a year later, they called and said, hey, we're having problems getting bedding. Can, would you be interested in supplying this stuff? And we started with the state fair the second year in it was in Grand Island. And we've been working pretty much ever since with them. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's worked out pretty well. I say, and a great opportunity to, to be able to hire somebody who's local because that money ends up staying here in the community in so many ways. Yeah, what a lot of people don't realize is we start making the bedding that supplies the fair because they need such a large amount in a short amount of time. We have to start making that. Um, really, we'll start December, January. We start making the material, um, stockpiling it in our facility west of town at the old ammunition plant. We, uh, we've got several larger buildings that we fill full of wood chips we make some specialty products for the state fair and uh yeah it's kind of a year-round deal we've got about two guys whose full-time job is uh basically getting stuff ready or conducting work at the state fair and at the gilka shows during the summer you guys also have something to do with these big orange bins that are behind the buildings uh, it's another one of those tie-ins i never would have guessed before we started doing this work but yeah the they had been using a company to haul out manure, and they were just taking it to the landfill. And I said, "Hey, we've we've got a market uh, where we can we can get rid of that manure cheaper." And we happened to have roll-off trucks for our demolition operations, and said, "We we'll just start supplying five or six roll-off boxes for uh, manure haul-outs." And so, if you get back to kind of the life cycle of the product, we will bring in wood pallets or two by four cutoffs from manufacturers and. We grind it three times, so it gets passed through a magnet three times before it ever turns into actual animal bedding. So when we bring it in, it's a 100% recycled product. Um, the cattle use it for the week, and once it's done, we haul everything out, and we will actually use, since it's, since it's really very clean, because it's been picked throughout the week, um, we're able to blend that with brand new material, brand new recycled material, and uh, sell it to a lot of cattle producers that uh, raise their cattle in hoop barns because they're able to use that that second time for that little bit of bedding they need or a lot of feedlot guys will buy it just for bedding between uh, pins uh, to protect the, the cattle hose from walking on the concrete. So it's, it, usually, it, it, it lives about three lives before it's finally sold to a company um, hog producers or, or poultry producers will use it to compost their mortalities um, and then it's it's composted and uh, 
recycled back onto the farm fields. Isn't that amazing? A, a complete cycle of a product that's used so many times over and helps out so many producers. Yeah, and it's 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 tough to explain to a lot of the manufacturers who who are sitting there looking at it as a waste. And I said, this is going to take the place of three different products. Uh, so a lot of our manufacturers, like Case New Holland, who are who is really concerned about environmental impact, um, I, I tell them, hey, it, it not only is it carbon neutral, it's carbon negative because this is taking the place of a lot of products that would have to be manufactured to do this same job. So yeah, from the environmental standpoint, it's great, and from an economic standpoint, um, since it's handled so many different times, it is it just becomes cheaper and cheaper. And a lot of guys will save money buying that product instead of using corn stalks or or uh, a different for- source of carbon to do their composting. Who would have ever thought, when you look back to where you guys started and where you are today? Well, certainly not me. <laughs> so it, it's it's worked out really well, and the the state fair guys have been great to work with, and Fauner Park and and Gilka who puts on the junior nationals during the summer it's it's just really really kind of expanded and uh my knowledge of the agricultural community was pretty slim 10 years ago and I'm I'm learning enough that uh, we've been able to make some changes and really find ways to find ways to reduce that impact and reduce costs and last year I think we did a little over a million and a half pounds of recycling for the state fair and Bonner Park Thanks again to Pat O'Neill as we talked about the life of the Nebraska State Fair Woodchip. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Time for the Midday Business Report. Bob Brogan is in. And Bob, what do you have for us today? Stocks are moving lower on Wall Street today after a big slump in technology companies pulled the market to its biggest drop since June. The S&P 500 was down 1.6% in midday trading. The selling followed a government report showing the U.S. hiring slowed to 1.4 million last month, the lowest number since the pandemic began even as the nation's unemployment rate improved to 8.4% from 10.2%. Treasury yields rose. The higher yields helped send bank stocks higher since banks can lend money at higher rates once yields rise in the bond market. Back to the issue of the unemployment rate. It fell sharply in August to 8.4% from 10.2%, even as hiring slowed with employers adding the fewest jobs since the pandemic began. The Labor Department says employers added 1.4 million jobs, down from 1.7 million in July. The U.S. economy has recovered about half the 22 million jobs lost to the pandemic. Nissan has developed a new way to produce high-tech auto parts. The Japanese automaker says it has achieved a breakthrough in molding carbon fiber reinforced plastic components now used in racing cars and jets because of their lightweight and strength. Russian scientists have belatedly published their first results from early trials into the experimental Sputnik V vaccine. Leave it to the Russians. They received government approval last month and drew considerable criticism from experts both at home and abroad as the shots have only been tested on several dozen people. In a report published in the journal Lancet today, developers of the vaccine said it appeared to be safe and prompt an antibody response in all 40 people within three weeks. But the authors noted that participants were only followed up for 42 days. Maybe we better wait for 
another vaccine. Meanwhile, Nebraska business confidence was mixed again in August, according to the latest monthly survey from the Bureau of Business Research at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. It had a value of 89.7 in August, which is well below the neutral level of 100. So business expectations still remain positive in Nebraska. That's a check of the business news. Thank you very much, Bob. Coronavirus crisis. Tired of New York and the tri-state area? You are not alone. There is an exodus happening during this coronavirus pandemic. Joe Bon Jovi, his wife and son, just moved to Melbourne, Florida from New York. One of many families swamping moving companies to get their boxes and belongings out of the big city and into a little more space. It was a combination of, of the lockdown with COVID, combination of the crime in the city, the way the governor's running the state. You know, taxes are going to be very, very high. According to Realtor.com, Miami is the top market for people in the Northeast who are looking to move. Miami, Bridgeport, Connecticut, Philadelphia, Tampa, and Orlando also in the mix. For Miami real estate agents like George Garrett Jr., all of this has meant a surge in interest from the Northeast in particular. I think the Big Apple has become the Big Orange, and people are, are taking notice of all the benefits here in South Florida. And another big motivator for moving, really low interest rates. In Miami Shores, Florida, Phil Keaton, Fox News. Chad Moyer with you here on the Rural Radio Network, and it is time for another Fridays in the Field segment brought to you by FNBO, the great big small bank. And we find ourselves back in North Bend visiting with Nick Emanuel. Uh, just a, a quick summary. We talked to you about six weeks ago. Uh, have there been any events here uh, in and around Dodge County that have led to any sort of things to talk about? Yeah. Unfortunately, the, the biggest event's probably the dry weather, uh, right in that pocket of very little rainfall. We've missed most all the rains here. In and around us, there was a shot of an inch or two of rain a couple weeks ago. But besides that, it's just uh, very dry here and, and still running the pivots one more time, we hope. Any idea how far behind we are on moisture in these pockets here in eastern Nebraska? Yeah, even under irrigation, the irrigation has seemed to be shown that we're falling behind a little bit, keeping up with the soil profile. And that's one reason why we hit another turn of it. But we're, we're definitely falling behind on overall moisture pattern. But under irrigated scenarios, uh, we're fortunate enough to, to have enough to keep pushing that crop uh, through the final stages here. In a dry land situation, double digits behind on moisture, do you think? Uh, Yes, I would say double digits behind normal precipitation is, is what the the numbers are showing, and, and the crops are really starting to show it also here. Just within the last week or two, you're seeing a lot of things starting to turn. How has the crop responded to the to the dryness? Are you talking days ahead or maybe even weeks ahead? What are you seeing? I'd say we're probably a couple weeks ahead. Current growth stage in corn is anywhere from a quarter milk line to three-fourths of the milk line, um, with that dry land acres being being further along. What about some of the other things that we've been hearing about in other parts of the state? Uh, any insect pressure, any disease pressure that you're seeing? Again, fortunate, it's been fairly low. Um, like the last time we talked, we spray all of our fields with fungicide, uh, both beans and corn, and I have seen that pay off uh, pretty significantly this year. We talked before about it, uh, the, uh, the idea of scheduling that last pass for the irrigation for the pivot in a season. What are the thoughts that go into that last pass of a pivot for the season? 
Yeah, great question. And, you know, I think this has proven to be a more challenging year, as dry as it is. And, you know, when do we quit irrigating? How much more do we try to feed it? And there's always the, the cost and benefit uh, trade-offs and, and trying to weigh that out. So, you know, we use, um, again, I'm, I'm part of our founder of CropMetrics, which we focus on irrigation scheduling, and we utilize soil moisture probes or sensors in the field. And that really gives us a very accurate fuel gauge to tell us specifically how much is left in the tank. And from there, we can get a good estimate on not only how much is left in the tank, but then take an estimation on how many more days to maturity using, you know, current GDD along with estimated uh, final maturity dates. And we can really get a good idea on how much more and when we need to quit that last pass of irrigation. So what's your target for the end of the season when it, when the crops are fully mature and you're going to start harvest what's your target yeah typically we're working off of a percent we want to leave about 40 percent left in the tank and ideally we don't need any more than that it's kind of just unneeded moving into the fall so right now say uh, most of the fields uh, were hopefully given one more pass but it's a week by week decision but we turned it on this week and, and we're sitting at that 50 to 60 percent uh, depletion in most fields however that extra inch that we're adding this week will be used over the next 10 days, which we forecast, you know, another 10 to 14 days till maturity. So we want to make sure it's got enough to get there and don't run it dry, but at the same time, not water too much that uh, we're just going to leave that profile too full. Again, we've been visiting with Nick Emanuel from North Bend, Nebraska at our Fridays in the Field segment brought to you by FNBO, the great big small bank. Here on the Rural Radio Network, Chad Moyer reporting. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. And John, when we look here, it's pretty amazing to see the week that soybeans have had 10 consecutive sessions. They close higher, despite the fact the fundamentals have been somewhat bearish against them. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, that's kind of been the theme across the board here. And uh, commodities, are, like, like corn and beans, didn't catch much of the... Uh, catch much of the action today, but I, I do worry that you've seen these outside markets fall. And I've been saying that for the last five days. So, you know, what do I know? I think at this point, uh, the momentum for the China trade is, is at a good, it's, it's at a good point. You know, I'm not sure, uh, it's a little bit over its skis longer run. That's for, deb- that's to be debated, but I think in the near term, you know, given the basis rise we're seeing and, you know, some of the impressive export numbers, mainly to China, it's hard to want to be bearish. Um, I would just say, in the in the more medium term here, I think there's just a lot of hurdles to get over, and I think some some of the things that you look at are, are just economic related, not so much ag related. And that's where my worry is. You know, the thing about it, traders are going to have a three day weekend. Is there anything that can happen? You know, news stories that could break or something? Could we go and turn into a completely different market fundamental feeling going into Monday night into Tuesday's trade? Oh, uh, barring something out of the president and you know Congress, I don't, I don't think so. I think we're kind of past the point where weather matters. I mean, to a certain degree, I think you know, there's guys south of you who are growing cotton who are going to get a freeze. You're seeing that market perform, and I'm sure corn and beans will get something down the road. But I think to continue to feed this bull, and I'm saying to get it over ten bucks, um, you know, we need to see China continue to buy. I think it really comes down to that. Um, you know, the. I don't know if they call them form anymore or whatever, the market IEG, something like that, the, the, new, the consulting firm. I think their numbers came out somewhere around the 179, and, you know, 53, 52 and a half bushel range, and that's just not, that's really not that bullish. So um, I think we're rallying on macros, and I think you got to be prepared for that to, to go away at some point. 
And then again, looking at those macro fundamentals, the dollar index puts in a two-year low here this week, and now it has seemed to be the safe haven in treasuries coming into Friday. Yeah, stocks are way, I mean, I could just, you know, scream from the top of the stock market, it's going to top here, but I, I just worry, you know, we're not going to get stimulus for the election. And if the economy doesn't open before the election, I think there could be some volatility. Folks are really going to go bankrupt. It's, it's been living on borrowed time so far. Again, we're talking with my uh, with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing, Chicago publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. Learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involves risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. While you're at danielzagmarketing.com, check out their, week, or their daily publication, or John's daily publication, This Week in Grain. Thank you very much, Clay. That'll take care of today's edition of Midday. If you miss anything, not only from today, but the entire week during midday, you can listen to the Midday Podcast sponsored by Devenny Motors. That can be found at iTunes or KRVN.com.